This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Expanding reality. Is it varitimos? Yeah, with the tongue roll and everything. I don't even know how to do that tongue roll, but yeah, varitimos, perfect. Rachel Veritimos, welcome. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. Well, we are here and we're going to talk women's empowerment, human design, astrology, and about your podcast. And of course, uh, you and I have a mutual love interest, which is amazing and adorable. But before we get to all that, if you don't mind, for my audience not too familiar with the young lady, do you mind just introducing yourself for them? Yeah. Hey, audience. Uh, I'm Rachel. I am a woman empowerment coach. My big thing is helping women feel like a 10 so they can cultivate their tenergy. And what tenergy is to me is when you are living your authentic soul's truth and you just feel so solid and amazing in that, that the energy you naturally exude is this like magnetic, I'm a 10, energy and then it pulls in really the life that fulfills you most into your life so i do that through women's retreats i'm really big on sisterhood and connection circles and women getting together you know especially this day and age with how separated everyone is and with social media and all these things and especially with the woman wound and so i really love getting women together completely obliterating limiting beliefs other women have about women and the feminine in general um helping women really step into their feminine side because what i often find is when women struggle making friends with other women or um they're afraid of women or have any sort of wounding with women, they actually have a hard time embodying a, a huge part of them, which is their feminine side. And they're often blocking it in many ways. So I'm really about connecting women to that. Um, so they can exude energy and really create the life they want. They can attract the man they want. They can make money doing something that they love. They can have the community, the relationships, all of it. So you're talking about dialing it in, removing limitations and restrictions. Uh, I love that you're you're right here. So uh, we should go ahead and say that our mutual love interest is your boo, Ryan Sprake, of course, who has been on the show. We just did that Mighty Morphin Sovereign Rangers thing with Brandon Williams. So thank you so much um, for, you know, making that man happy. That's a good dude. And you keep him smiling for us. And we appreciate that. I'm pretty sure you're a massive part of that smile. So what, what do you think is the most limiting thing for women that lately, um, like these days, because it seems that the feminist movement was an interesting thing. And I want to I want to get your thoughts on that as well. But what's one of the most limiting things that you find that women uh, face today? Oh, my God, the most limiting thing is women being really in their head and being really in this masculine energy that we've been taught to be in and by society, the hustle, the go, 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 the looking at all these scientific research and looking for all these answers outside of themselves instead of actually being connected to themselves, their truth, their intuition, what feels good to them. And often what I find is when women are really stuck in the masculine, they're stuck in their head. That's when they have 
IBS and they have Lyme disease and they have all these chronic health issues and they're really in their head and they have this constant anxiety in their chest. Like I can even speak for myself at one point in my life. It felt like the anxiety was always on. It felt like there was always this pressure, this time constraint, this research, this look for for anything, looking for the answer. But then then there's thousands of answers to the same question, (laughs) which then breeds more anxiety and confusion. And so I really see that being one of the main things that blocks women these days, because I really see that their power is in their intuition. And when they really learn to tune into themselves and what they need. What an awesome answer. Uh, You've nailed it with this because you didn't externalize something. Uh, This is one of the most mature, responsible, respectable answers I've ever heard because it empowers you to know that you're the one that makes the change. And this is what's huge about this. This this, uh, idea that it's this either or, like this or that. And so that brings me back to the question of feminism with you. Um, What what were your thoughts about the feminist movement, uh, to your knowledge, of what what you know about it? What, What are your thoughts on it? Hmm... I don't consider myself a feminist. I have heard a lot about the feminist movement. I've actually heard that it started off being very positive and just about women wanting equality, you know, and just being recognized for what they bring to the table. I do think it's gone overboard. You know, I hear this phrase from a lot of women, there are no good men. And one thing I've really realized is us women have demonized a lot of men and we emasculate men and we sometimes blame men for our problems. We blame the patriarchy. You hear that all the freaking time, right? Oh, the patriarchy. I even mentioned it. Like we have a very masculine run society, but it's not men's fault. It's never men's fault. We're on a pendulum swing society. So the feminists brought this issue to the world And the world was like, okay. And then just like everything, it's like the pendulum swung way to the extreme, you know, where it almost like lost its power because then it, which is really sad because when we go to the extreme, it's, it's not actually getting the essence, I think, of what the original feminist movement came here to be, which was equality, which was that both men and women both have gifts and we're here to access those gifts and merge together. Um, But I do feel as though we are moving back towards the center. I do feel as though as a society, we've realized how much we've gone to the extreme. Um, And I mean, I can even see that play into my life and how me and Ryan's relationship has really evolved because I did get stuck in this mindset of emasculating him in my head. I didn't do it out loud. I would do it in my head. And I think a lot of us women do that in our heads, whether we do it out loud or not. And so that's like the next movement is recognizing where did I pick up these subtle things about my partner that I think is wrong with him? Like, for example, um, if Ryan did not leave on time from the house and was not strict about time, I'd start being like, oh, why can't he be more manly? Like in my head, like, why can't he just hold down the fort and get the time right? Like it's his duty. And I was projecting my anxiety onto him and also emasculating him in my mind. Yeah, maybe it's a masculine thing to keep structure in time. But by me thinking about all these horrible things about him and why he's not manly, that didn't help our sex life. That doesn't help our relationship. It doesn't help our polarity. And so um, I've also find it's about having these conversations while taking self-responsibility, you know? 
Yes, I do know. What a brilliant, I mean, an awesome observation because we've talked about on the on the show here, and I did this uh, for my own wife. It was for me, but it was directed to her, which is I just started writing her new scripts in my mind, right? I, I view this place as sort of uh, playing out exactly what you want, what you think and feel up here in your in your head. You're the director of this entire play that's going on around you. And what I found with this is that I would anthropomorphize or I would write her scripts in my mind when I would see things in my reality uh, that I didn't care for, that I didn't um, feel like I'd chosen in a partner, if that makes sense. And so I would sit here and I would um, empower those with thoughts of my disdain about them. And I would say, oh, I can't believe this. And I would give it more and more power, right? And so one day I woke up and I was like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my wife the perfect wife up here, not change her out, like not replace her, not swap her out with anybody else. Nothing was going to change, but the way that I thought about her. And that was, is how, I'm, how I empowered her with the way that I looked at her, how all of her actions were are very thought out and she was aware of what she was doing, all of these wonderful things. And I'll be damned, um, the next morning, woke up, I had a different wife, the wife that I wrote in my mind and it stuck, it stayed, this wife is still here. So it's not like I was, and then, it, and then cause you can get to this point where you're like, oh great, I did it, but how long until they backslide or how, yes, it's nice, but it's temporary, right? So th this concept of writing scripts for your partner, really for anyone in your life, but I started with my partner. So um, th with that phrasing of it, have you ever thought of it that way or that you really are like thinking, because you already did it, you just said you did, you thought about it differently and then things changed. So what impact did that have on your relationship? Oh my God. Okay. So this is like mind blowing to me. So, and maybe a lot of women, maybe even men will resonate with, with what I'm about to say. I had a pattern. I, I'm like a serial long-term relationship person. I don't, for some reason I hop from long-term relationship to long-term relationship. I think it's because I don't want them when I'm in one. I had this pattern though of being with a guy for a long time, but after about a year, I don't have sex with him anymore. And it was a struggle. And I always thought that there was something wrong with me or wrong with them, or that's just how it was with Ryan. I've been with him for six years. So we made it really, really far. And I will do anything to keep this relationship going because it's that meaningful to me. And I remember someone pointed out something about emasculating men and thinking badly about them and complaining about them. And I started realizing, like, I just had this epiphany one day, like, holy shit, I talk shit about Ryan in my head constantly. <laughs> like, I point it out when he does that. I, sometimes it comes out of my mouth and that's when he gets upset. But usually it's in my head. And then I realized I've done that with every partner I've been with. I started questioning whether they were good enough for me. I'm like, I'm like, I started thinking I'm special. They need to be good enough for me. They're doing this wrong. And so I just tried it. I thought, well, what if I just focus just like you said on everything he does right in all the ways he is super masculine and all the ways I love him. And literally within a few days, I had wanted to have sex. Like it was like, it was like the beginning of our relationship. I was like, holy shit. Like I'm so much more attracted to you. And he didn't do anything else. So I don't know if you're a woman listening to this, you might do that. Cause it's super common for women to just stop wanting to have sex with men. And like, why do we think that is? I do think it's because a lot of women end up emasculating men. That's not everyone, but I mean, even you just said it, I think it's a common thing in relationship. We start to question 
And what I've really learned within a relationship, especially this past year, as I feel as feel like me and Ryan have come even like stronger into our bond because I've come over this emasculation is that you choose someone. And when you choose someone, it doesn't mean that they have to be perfect or they need to be the best actual person. It means you chose them. You chose to go through life with them and you chose for you guys to heal together because whether I heal this with him, if I didn't heal this pattern with him, and I went into another relationship, the same exact pattern would come up. Yes. Like you're so fucking wise, you know, you just have like this like air of wisdom where it just, duh, you know, it just makes sense. And you're like, yeah, I used to do this. So it didn't work out. So now I'm doing this and it's crushing it, But <laughs> what you're doing is like such a deep level of crushing because it's so, and you're so fucking spot on about this. My uh, wife currently um, has a 3d job still where she works in an office environment and there are women there that their main source of entertainment is to gossip and talk shit about their husbands. And it's one of these things that she told me, she was just sitting there saying, oh my God, these women just constantly beat their husbands down and complain about them constantly. So, and then I said, yeah. And then they, they get husbands to complain about. It's this fascinating, almost masturbatory exercise until you figure it out. And then it's like, holy shit, this is what, this is what this place is all about. This is what I've been doing here. And it's this really interesting switch in your mind. And, you know, and to what you said as well with this um, this portrayal of uh, relationships, and this is what the feminist movement did. It empowered women until it told them that they should then take power away from men and not be partners with them, right? It, it taught women, a whole generation of women, that men were in competition with them for a variety of reason, reasons, and many they could point to, but they set those up for it to be that way, uh, the pay inequality and all those kinds of things. So they set it up like that, had the home divided, and then now they're also wanting to pull women out of the home into the workforce to then contribute, consume all these things, and then not take care of children, and then make sure that the next women have these insecurities or worse that are passed down. So these ideas of like being small is something that I know that my wife and that generation sort of uh, has tackled and it's been really challenging to just be quiet like women are supposed to be you know seen not heard all of these interesting ways of portraying uh, such a valuable resource and empowered energy here and it's just fascinating like you said earlier too about the pendulum swing that that is dead on it it seems like this long swing of masculinity or this patriarchy like you said and we can sort of see that there was a such a a tremendous swing in that energy but also like you I feel that it was to give us context. It was to show us, hey, look, this is what too far looks like this way. And maybe there was a time before like this cataclysm or younger dryest thing where the feminine energy was too much, you know, and there was just, it, you, you figure out over the generations or whatever sweeps of time that this is, that these inequalities in energies, not, not in equality, inequalities in energies and balancing those is what's so important. And that's what, that's what I think you're doing with this and you're crushing. So what got you down the, you know, empowerment movement to begin with? Because was this something that you overcame for yourself? Was this something that were, you were overcoming smallness in your own life and so you wanted to empower others through that as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, to keep it short, I was not, <laughs> I was like a completely different person growing up. I've lived many different lifetimes. I was obese when I was really young. 
I had no friends. I barely talked up until college. So if you knew me up until college, like you weren't getting words out of my mouth for the most part, extremely shy. Um, had very few friends, never spoke up anywhere, like very in the background, like background person. And I went to a weight loss camp when I was nine years old because I begged my parents to let me go. I didn't know why I looked different than all the other kids. It's the 90s. No one else is obese. Didn't know why I looked different than all the other kids. Didn't know why I didn't have any friends. And I just assumed it's because I'm overweight. It's because I'm obese. And I, I just don't understand how to talk to people. So I begged my parents to let me go to this weight loss camp. I went. I lost 23 pounds in six weeks. That was my mission. And I learned a lot of unhealthy habits. I had eating disorders then from like, because I started to make friends at the weight loss camp because there were other like heavy kids there. And, it, you know, I could relate with them. So I had this story. If you want to have friends, you need to be thin. And so I became obsessed with nutrition and dieting. I used to stay up until 3 a.m. researching nutrition in high school. I went, I got my degree in nutrition in college. I I've been was searching for this answer. I wanted freedom with food in my body. I wanted my body to be small, but I didn't want to feel this stressed and anxious all the time about everything I put into it. I thought getting my degree in nutrition would be the answer. It wasn't. So then I became a nutrition, a nutrition, uh, diagnostic functional practitioner. And then that didn't give me my answers either. And it wasn't until I just like said F all of it. I'm just going to return to the basics and <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm just going to return to the basics and eat whole foods and just like listen to my body for the first time in my life, whatever that means. Eat when I'm hungry, not stop when I'm full. And before you knew it, I blew my mind because my body weight had stabilized this body weight that had previously always been so hard for me to achieve. And I wasn't trying at all. I like, and it was the first time I realized I could listen to my body that my body knew what it was doing when it gave me certain signals. And I had energy for the first time in my life. I didn't have any energy because of how much I dieted. Um, and so it was in that moment that I realized how much I could trust myself. And then I wondered what else was out there. It's like I healed the food body thing. I healed the eating disorders. I now had to heal my social anxiety. I was terrified of women. I had a lot of bad experiences with women. It was like the only negative experiences I had. I think that's why I've always been a little bit more, was a little bit more comfortable around men. So I attended my first woman's retreat and it completely obliterated every belief I had about women. These women were safe. These women cared about growth, which I always felt like an outsider because I was the girl going to weight loss camp at nine years old who was always trying to better herself, like in whatever way and waking up before school to go to the gym. Um, and no one else did that. And I felt like I found my people. It's like these people put a lot of their life into growing and and becoming better versions of themselves. And they're nice to me. They like me. It seems like we have a, a connection. And so that just like, I grew so much from that. I attended like 10 more retreats that year. I became obsessed and attended so many coaching programs because they had changed me more than therapy ever had. And then before you knew it, I was a retreat obsessed and decided to host my first retreat. And in one month when I had no previous clients, I filled my first retreat with 14 people. That was mind blowing. So that was like the next iteration of Rachel. And it's just been kind of that, like climbing the mountain, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Um, so, yeah. 
I love it so much. I just love it so much what you're doing. And I'm going to ask you about your Sedona in a second, but I would love for my wife, Mary, to go out there with you guys sometime. Uh, it's been maybe even in September here. Uh, so Sedona, September, tell us about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So my next goddess getaway is this September in Sedona. I hosted one in Sedona back in 2021. This is my sixth retreat now. Sedona is just so magical. Um, at my retreats, I call them one part like a festival entertainment. So like this next retreat, I have a fire spinner coming. I, I hired this famous light language singer who she's died three times and come back and came back to life and has this magical voice that was tuned to 528 Hertz. They did like science studies on it. Um, Yeah. So I have like cool people come in. So it's like one part festival, but then we do sensual dance movement and cause I have a sensual dance movement teacher. I fly out. And so we get like really sexy and connected to our sensuality And I really show women that being sexy has nothing to do with trying to look sexy or putting on the face or the makeup. When you do sensual dance movement, you will feel sexy to your core in a way that you never knew you could feel before. And you're so much more connected to yourself. So we do sensual dance movement. um, We do connection circles and manifestation. In my experience, when you manifest in a group and you're in such presence and you're hyping each other up, like that shit happens and it happens quick. I I have this bold statement because it's so true. Over 90% of Goddess Getaway participants manifest what they speak out loud in a year or less. And I know that's true from every retreat I've hosted. Um, so we do group manifestation. We do coaching. We do like somatic work. So we cry together. Uh, I'm usually the one crying. I'm a huge crier. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um we get naked because I'm really big on getting naked and like being vulnerable. Like one of my, my ethos is just share vulnerably, like share vulnerably. If you want someone, how can you make that a vulnerable share from yourself instead of a projection, you know? Um, yeah, I, it's basically like this magic portal vortex to, I, to stepping into your tenergy, as I call it, feeling like a 10. Oh, it's so cool what you're doing and what you're doing to empower women. It's, I I just think it's so fascinating. I'm going to share a screen right here real quick because um, there's this graphic that you reminded me of as you're talking about your Tenergy thing. Have you heard of the uh, Tree of Life and the Kabbalah? I, I do know of the Kabbalah and the Tree of Life, but yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, just my interpretation as you're speaking about it here is Tenergy, you know, you're talking about the ten sim symbolism here and then i've heard another interpretation on it that really it's a 10 is really just a one and a zero and then it's a binary universe so they're ones and zeros which i just thought were interesting so this uh tree of life here it has 10 nodal points uh really sort of 11 here but i believe 10 is what's uh sacred and if you look at it here there's a column on the right uh seven four and two and then you have eight five and three going up on the left now those are finite right those stop or come back to the center here from the outside. Um, same down here and same down here. The only one that continues to infinitum is the middle, right? So what's interesting about the tree of life and just my uh, take on this whole damn thing is sort of this is the map or sort of the ideal of options here. You can get stuck in the feminine or the right path as long as you want, uh, but it's always going to come back to source and then continue out. Or you can get stuck in the left path or the male path, however you want to put that, but it's always going to come back to the center because that's from which it originates, passes through, has its experience, and then comes back, right? So this, the line, this middle path 
is where I find that we're probably entering now this ideal of the, yes, we went too far this way. And at some point, perhaps we had the observation to go too far this way, but now we're returning to this middle path, which is again, is the continuum of streamlined consciousness. So it's this undividing the divided. It's the light shining on the nonsense. And it's our ability to sit here and say, you know what, this middle path, this balance of the feminine and masculine energy facilitated in all the amazing ways that you're talking about here can be done and achieved here. And there are many wonderful things to be experienced whenever that is undertaken. And so your tenergy here, maybe this could be a new logo idea for you or something like that because of this whole concept of the, because that's what you're doing. You're balancing the energies. You have the whole tree of life thing. Uh, tree of life also has just some really dope um, imagery with it. So just wanted to pass that along to you intuitively guided to as we were speaking here but it's, it's this idea of, you know, not empowering women without bringing men down that, that, that is like the way forward. And us dudes have been talking about this for a while. Hopefully, I mean, I have in my circles and with my male friends, Hey, how do we achieve this cohesion and this coherence with partners rather than looking at, for example, if there's an issue in the home, it's not you versus your partner. It's you and your partner coming together to solve an opportunity in disguise called an issue in your home. And I've heard of all these wonderful techniques that couples will do to where they'll say, we name problems, uh, which I just call opportunities in disguise. They name their opportunities in disguise a name like uh, Toby or something like that, or Seth or whatever. And they'll say, yeah, um, Seth forgot to make your dentist appointment today. And so they're like, oh, Seth, how dare you? And so it's this external thing. And so it's not directed at the personality because we know that it's just, this is an interesting place and that some shit can get shoveled around. So do you have any advice for women to kind of um, help break down the stigma of that we should be divided and unify the home a little bit? Do you have any pointers or advice within that beyond just thinking better thoughts about your partner? Yeah, um, it's along the lines, I mentioned it briefly when I was talking about the retreat, it's along the lines of using vulnerability over projections. And when I say that, what I mean is, let's say you are jealous of your partner or something like they're talking to this girl and every this woman at a party and everything in you wants to be like like f you like why do you talk to her for so long you know that i hear this story from women so much like i can't believe he talked to her for so long it looks like he was like getting really close to her and then they yell at the husband and they make it the husband's fault when what's really going on here, if we are going to get vulnerable and the truth is the woman, the girl is feeling insecure. A wound of hers is being triggered. She knows that her husband loves her, but she's afraid in this moment. And so if you can express like, hey, like I know you're just having fun talking to someone and I had this thing come up for me and it hurts and like, I, I know that it's just real for me and I know that I'm just really jealous, but it's really just because I want us to last forever because I really love you. Like, that's such a better way to approach that conversation than you're a you're a bitch or you're an a-hole or something, you know, um, and I find that it actually brings unity because we I've realized this a lot the past year, actually. 
whenever people fight with one another and everyone has their own side, I truly believe everyone is actually, everyone is right. It's that we're just not being vulnerable enough to really understand each other's point of view. No one is evil. No one's trying to do anyone wrong. Everyone is just living in their own world. So if we can be vulnerable and come together, that's when you actually have the best possible outcome and the best outcome for healing in my experience. God, it's just awesome. Awesome to hear you speak about this. Because again, the wisdom. How old are you, by the way? I just turned 30. Congratulations. My goodness. And so young. You know, you you have like so much uh, wisdom for the amount of time that you've spent here. What was, if you don't mind your family life like growing up, are you from the mom and dad stayed together or did you do the divorce thing like most of us? Mom and dad stayed together, but I always thought they shouldn't be together. <laughs> 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 we don't know how they fucking shouldn't. Yeah, they're they still together. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so for the most part, then a stable home. Would you call it a stable home then? You know, because just because your parents stay together doesn't mean your home's stable. You know, sometimes, like you said, maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, they love each other. It just can be a little, you know, you know how it can be. People listening, like they love each other. It was stable enough. Yes. They're so interesting that you have such a a wise approach to relationships, having been in many that were extended for periods of time, but it seems, again, you don't need a, a variety of, um, I, I guess it's quality over quantity as far as your experience goes with your learnership in this and your growth, because you got so much growth out of the relationships that you had to really come together with Ryan and to say, you know what, we're going to do this right because you're the right dude for it. And how much of that do you, how much of Ryan did you manifest and, and how much of him was checked off the list whenever he came into your life? <laughs> want to know what's so funny about that i was dating someone else when i met ryan i'm not a cheater i'm gonna preface by saying that i did not cheat i was dating someone else uh it was kind of like you know when it feels like you're just moving apart and so i started i remember everyone would say to me you're gonna marry him and everything in me was like i'm not gonna marry him i need someone who talks more <laughs> and i just said that constantly until I broke up with him. And then I like, I just, I was working with Ryan and I don't know, something in me at first, I just thought he was a friend. I remember I went home to my parents' house and I was like, you wouldn't believe it. I met a guy who's just like me, but he's a guy. <laughs> and then I started to develop feelings for him, broke up with my boyfriend, asked Ryan to hang out the next week and the rest was history. But I definitely manifested a guy who talks a lot you know ryan so i'd say that's the one thing that i kept speaking out loud um i i didn't actually put that much focus and attention besides that i i don't know why i have this i'm really good at romantic relationships the friendships is what i've now had to like evolve since i had social anxiety and work on but I don't know why I was born with that. It was some sort of deep belief system that I just get relationships, romantic ones, and that every guy I date is like the guy for me. I don't know. I don't know how that's coming off sounding, but yeah. It's coming off sounding like you prepared your life like all of us did, because I can look back in my own and say that's, you know, 
none of the thing, those things didn't all make sense until now. Like now everything I do makes complete sense to me. Uh, what I was interested in, why I was interested in it, all of these things. Um, and so with you, it seems like it, it makes sense because you were terraforming your energy. You were being prepared, especially having the anxiety, the social anxiety component to this because now you're leading retreats. You're up empowering women with confidence and that takes you overcoming your insecurities, your all of those things. So of course it was given to you. And this is what I found so fascinating about this. You'll find public speakers that overcame um, speech impediments or lisps or stutters or something like that. And it's something that was so challenging to them, but now they're public speakers. And so it's interesting how the spirit or how yourself or whatever, whenever you come in here, however this works, you seem to be given um, not a handicap per se, but just sort of a something that will be not as easily attainable for you so that you can really focus on the craft itself of what, what that is, meaning public speaking or overcoming social anxiety so that you could stand in front of people and be of service, right? In the way that you are. And then same thing to your relationships. You just had these templates of relationships of what to do in these scales that you were just sort of collecting data at the same time, terraforming yourself to manifest your next partner, Ryan, right? But it's interesting from my perspective, that the things that you did lead up to, of course, the things that you are, especially the challenges you had. It makes the most sense in the world because your empowerment to overcome them is your story to empower others and your confidence to share that. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for that reflection. You just illuminated something for me for sure. Yeah, I have thought about that. I am meant to connect women because I was terrified of women before, but I didn't think about how the romantic relationship component and how I feel solid on that side fit in. So yeah, so spot what, on. what's something else then? Cause now you, you have nutrition as well and you were guided to that for your own fortification of your own vessel. What, what's another thing that you're interested in that you're not sure is going to fit in that maybe you think is random. Do you have like a crochet hobby or something that you just think is random? Cause it may tie into the whole damn thing. You want to know what I actually think ties all in since I'm really into astrology. So I use astrology. I didn't even mention that I use astrology at all my retreats and human design and all of these things. And I always love looking at people's Pluto placements because Pluto is this area of your life and it's going to be aspected different in different people's charts and show up differently. But Pluto is the area of your life where you have this obsession and you are really investigatory about it. And it's likely because it's also like you're not being able to attain it because you're so obsessed with it. And so it makes you swing on the pendulum between the two, like all the sides until you get there. It's lifelong, lifelong transit planet. So whatever house someone has Pluto in, they're likely going to be going through several transformations in their life in that area of life. Um, for me, mine is in the second house, which is self-worth, it's food, the body, how you nourish yourself, material things, um, income, uh, skills that you learn. But I really, be I really believe I've been transforming self-worth and it started first with the body, which the body and food is in the second house. Um, and then it moved to my self-worth, which was like self-worth with food and then self-worth in relationships. And now the next thing that I'm working on is money. Me and Ryan are actually taking this wealth course. And I'm, that's my new obsession because it's like the last area of my life that I feel that haunts me you know, like building financially, building wealth, 
Um, and so that's what I'm getting a handle on next, but they're all second house themes. So if anyone listening to this, if you know your Pluto placement and you know what house it's in, that area of life, you're likely obsessive over um, and has some plays in something to your occupation or purpose or whatever. See, that's so interesting because now it sounds like you can just check that, check your Pluto and whatever those are is sort of the order in which things are going to approach you. Have you found this true for yourself? I mean, beyond the two, like you've got that third one, that money one or whatever, the wealth is scarcity thing that we were all born with. What do you have any after that? Or that's just the next one in line? You know, I think that's the next one in line. I'm sure there's more <laughs> coming up because each house in astrology rules a bunch of things. Like the second house rules a bunch of things because an area of life is so many things. So I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to heal a lot of the money stuff and that's going to take some time. But then the, there's layers to this, this stuff, right? Like there's going to be self-worth with just being safe with money and then maybe it comes back to the body. Maybe it comes back to self-worth in a way I never thought of before. Um, it's a lifelong thing for everyone. Everyone's birth chart. I think of following your birth chart and the transits and um, even following your human design. It's like a yogic practice that you're just, you know, practicing leaning into and gaining awareness and learning where to place your attention and intention. It's so interesting. And it's, it's fascinating too, to think that there's sort of an order to this thing, you know, that you can say, okay, look, you've got these laid out here. And if you do them in this order, these subcategories, right. That then they will stack. Cause let's say that you have a worthiness thing. That's a wonderful example. And if worthiness is one of your challenges, then we do some shadow work, right? You go to that five-year-old you who overheard your mom and dad yelling about money in the other room. And after you just gotten a new toy and you didn't feel safe to have it, you know, all these things. And so the, you, you check off these boxes and then they'll splinter out into other things and then you'll maybe get some money. And then those triggers sort of come up and you're like, okay, uh, how does this work? But it's interesting again, to think that there is sort of this order of operations in which you can tackle them. And it's literally written in your birth chart. Yeah. So here's the thing though, is if someone let's say has Pluto in the seventh house, which is a lot of relationships, but it's also related to contracts and the judicial judicial system and legal matters and fairness and um, open enemies, right? Like someone could have Pluto in the seventh house, but it could be expressed differently than someone else. So I wouldn't say you can look at a birth chart and be like, this is what they're obsessed with because it could, it could be a different part of that house. And then it depends how else their chart has been aspected. For me, my Pluto placement is very prominent. Um, it's a very prominent part of my chart. That's why it shows up a lot in my life. But yeah, it just depends on someone's birth chart. What's well, interesting too, because if you say relationships, judicial, um, all the things that you listed, there are some commonalities, right? There are some common core examples that you could use, which would be boundary setting as well as communication. So if you can get those two things locked in on your end, they should pretty much check most of those boxes, right? Because uh, one of the four agreements, be impeccable with your word, right? Always do, your, always do your best, be impeccable with your word. If you're doing the four agreements, then those should be checked off the list as far as, you know, everything. Because then you're, you're, you're a person of your word in all of those categories. You have boundaries in all of those categories. So it's interesting to look at them as popping up in, in micro examples, but I'm just to the point where I see them, see them scalable. I see the big things behind it. You know what I mean? It's not about the thing. I'm very keyed into that concept that it's never about the thing presented to you. It's wearing a mask. That's a gift in some way 
You just got to see through the mask to see what it is. And, and at these, at their root are these like relationship things. And it's like, okay, well, what are the commonalities? Just really mm -hmm. interesting when you start formulating it that way. So mm -hmm. human design is something I am getting asked a lot about. I have um, not as much knowledge on the subject as I would like to have. So tell us what like you find so interesting about human design. Okay. So do you know Tantra? Yes. I, I feel as though human design is a tantric practice when you're truly following your human design. The premise of human design is to be in the present moment and you don't really need to know much else about your chart besides your inner authority and how to best use your energy. And the way you get the most out of your human design is through understanding what your not self theme is and what your self theme is and then getting present. So if you're in your not self theme, you're like, all right, I'm out of alignment. I'm probably in my head or I'm riding my emotional wave or whatever. I need to get present again. Um, and that's a way in which I, I really like to use human design, but I also like to use human design as a blueprint for people to understand their strengths. And often I find that when I read someone's human design, they'll, I'll tell them something about them. Like, for example, I have a lot of women who come to me and they have this gate in human design, which is this gate of it's half the channel of sensitivity. So these are sensitive people. They're sensitive to other people's needs. They reach out to other people. They're the ones to reach out. Like that's part of their design. Like they love people. They want to reach out to them. They want to connect and they want to give these people what they need. Often when I read for people and they hear that, they're like, yeah, I'm always the person reaching out. Like it feels like shit. I feel like people don't reach out to me. But when you reframe it as this is part of your design, like some people are the people who reach out because the other half of the channel doesn't reach out. The other half of the channel is like feeling energy and trying to decide if people belong or not, or if they belong, but they're not reaching out. They're kind of just like taking more of the receptive mode. And so when you reframe that for people as that's part of their role in the world and part who they're meant to be, it helps bring a lightness to it or an acceptance to it of like, okay, that's not something that's wrong with me. It's, it's part of my mission. Um, so yeah. Yeah. If you have like a disposition for nature or something like that, but they want to cram you into a math class. It's interesting that you can, you can get a lot off of this stuff. It's sort of your, like you said, your template. I I've heard of stories, especially in like, let's say China, for instance, they'll, they'll have metrics for schooling and not everyone gets the same flat education. They do for a little bit until they start to divide their intellect, their, their selves. So they'll start to nav naturally gravitate towards math or science. So they'll sort of gear their curriculum towards that. And it's more of an intuitive learning process. So this is interesting because it can be applied to children early on. Like, can, like as soon as they pop out, like you've got their human design. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really helpful because then you can understand what energy type they are, which helps you understand how they best make decisions. Um, you know, one thing I think is really important for parents to know if they have a manifestor child, for example, is you don't want to tell a manifestor child no all the time. You want to be able to give it um, options and or or redirect them so that they don't get a no, because if you say no to a manifestor child a lot growing up, they can end up being becoming a disempowered manifestor and then not actually living their design when they get older. So I think it's super helpful for that.
I have also heard of this go uh, terribly wrong. Like my mother, I believe I'm a generator. I think people have said that about me that, that know a lot about this kind of stuff. And then same thing to that, because we just go the opposite way of what you want, right? We're the guaranteed, we're going to do the opposite of what you say, don't do. That's a guarantee. That's what I want to do. That's the only thing on my mind now. And it's interesting, again, when you frame this of the energies, I'm sure my mom would have loved to have had this grown up, <laughs> growing up it, and raising the boys that she did. Um, so folks can reach out for you for this kind of stuff. If you, if they want to book a reading or anything. Yeah, they can reach out for human design. I, sometimes I do a combination of this birth chart readings and human design. I remember I read yours on the phone. I think you were a three, five generator. And yeah. I remember you had the channel, the alchemy, the alchemizer channel yeah. turning lead to gold. So tell us a little bit, if you don't mind about my uh, thing, three, five. So what does any of that mean for the, for those out there who are like, man, I want to learn more about human design. Cause I'm so curious about this stuff. So in human design, you have an unconscious astrological birth chart and a conscious one. Your conscious birth chart is taken from the day and time you were born, but then your unconscious birth chart was taken almost exactly three months before you were born. And the theory is, is that that's when the soul was uploaded into the body. And so the unconscious started to come alive and was picking up on things while you were in your mom's belly. So when you look at a three, five, the three is conscious for you, which I'll explain in a second. You know, you, you know that you do with three things and that you're a three. What's unconscious for you is the five. Um, that's what other people might see first when they first meet you is the five. Um, and it's what people, when people really get to know you, they start to see more of like both of them, the three and the five, but the three line for you is the martyr or the great experimenter. So the three line is experimenting things. They're like going to stick their finger in a light socket to see what happens. Um, that's, that's the high vibe side of the three is I'm going to experiment and try a bunch of different things. And the threes are here to bring new inventions to the world because they're willing to try new things and to jump and to be daredevils and to jump into that and into that. The shadow side of the three is to be a martyr. So it's taking on all these things for all these people and then not feeling appreciated and like martyring yourself or sticking your finger into the light socket and being like, you don't even care. I stuck my finger into the light socket for you. Yeah, it's fascinating. Is that, yeah. Do you resonate with that? I, I do. And it's interesting too, because you say the, um, the martyr thing, because that was something that um, establishing boundaries was the thing that, that took that out, was making sure that I was mindful of my own energies and knowing what my worth was, was my ability to not feel taken advantage of. Plus the thing was, is that, well, then you get a great opportunity to look at yourself and say, well, then what were the true motives? You know, anytime I felt that way, I knew the true motives were attention. And so whenever I didn't get it, I felt like whatever, it didn't make me not want to do things for people. It just made the attention nice. But then eventually I was like, you don't need that. dude. It's, it's not for that. And now I do shit all the time. And most people don't even fucking know about it because it's not for that. I do it for me because I feel that every time I look into the eyes of another, I'm looking into the eyes of me. And if I'm sitting here saying or helping someone or just something simple and, and then running around going, hey, look what I did for these people. Like it's... um. It's not me and it, it doesn't uh, correspond to that. So this idea of martyrdom is something I suppose, um, yeah, that doesn't haunt me anymore at all. And it, and it was really just about self-worth and boundaries. So it's interesting you say this because now I'm just the dude that's like, uh, let's expand reality and let's just do that. Let's stick fingers in light sockets if you want. Um, it'll be hilarious and we'll all love it. And I'll probably join you on it because I've done it before. It doesn't hurt. You're fine. 
but it's it's this willingness to explore that yeah absolutely so what you're unconscious of is your five line so the five line is the heretic so the five line will project other people's problems onto them and other people will also project their problems onto you because they think that you can solve their problems. They look at you as the person who can save the day, the hero, and, and you want to be that person. And you likely can come up with a lot of solutions for people like practical solutions, like do this. Um, the fifth line, because it lives in a projection field, you when you have a fifth line, you really want to make sure that you're following your inner authority because people can end up getting really mad, especially at three fives. Like three fives will take on too much because they have that like experimenter, the sure, throw that in, sure, throw that in. And if you're not following your inner authority and you suggest to helping someone that you didn't actually get a response to to help them from your body that's when people get mad at you that's when you don't solve their problem and they actually blame you for their problems interesting yeah Yeah. and it's about that it's the inner authority that you said and uh walking this path i have uh, known for a very long time now that my role here is to give people back to themselves and so i did that through first giving myself back to me and you have to do it that way right you can't be like hey here's how you do this because a true leader says um not follow me, but I'll go first, right? And so this idea of uh, really improving in the in in all of the ways that you're talking about. So it's interesting that without my, I guess, knowledge of it, the, these are absolutely things that I have looked at in a shadow side and seen in a capacity in myself and said, this is not okay because, and already address the things uh, in that. So is this going to be a continuing thing or because it's in my chart or is it one of these things that look, this is a tendency, it's a razor's edge deal, so you can slip back into this at any moment, or is it one of those things that once you sort of unlock this part of it or kind of are mindful about your inner authority and aware, let's say as a small example that you have um, alcoholics in your family, so just watch drinking, right? Something like that. Do you do you feel that it's something that once you're aware and done, it's it's done and achievable, or that it just sort of revisits you with different masks occasionally to check in on you? You know, I, I I mean, I believe we never reach perfection in life. So, yeah, I believe it. it's always a little bit of the pendulum swing. The pendulum can get a little tighter towards the middle where it's like you're really gaining that stability. But also throughout your lifetime, you're also finding balance between the way the three lives and the way the five lives. You know, there are things with the five where the five needs to have these reality checks because the five like wants to help everyone and save the world. And sometimes they just have to come back down to reality and be like, what can I actually do? Yeah. What do you think about the idea of perfection? Do you think that we're perfect now or that it's uh, like you state that's an idea that can't be achieved? Well, I believe in perfectly imperfect. I believe everything happens perfectly the way it should for the moment you're in and the moment of time. Uh, do I believe in perfection of like one thing, like observing one thing and being like, it's perfect. That's a bigger question because I also think that's subjective. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's a great answer. That's the answer, by the way. Yeah. Cause perfection, because yeah. <laughs> I see everyone is absolutely perfect exactly where yeah. they are because they're evolving, growing, learning, willing to take chances, willing to 
uh, ride the ride as it were, you know, because what does perfection look like? Perfection would probably be pretty boring, right? You don't have any, uh, anything in your teeth ever. Your hair is always perfect. And then it just, it's, it would seem to me, um, stressful, you know, because then you'd want to be maintaining this idea of perfection, which is all it is, right? Your subjective idea of perfection, which brings us back to, uh, the male females and especially the female uh, view body image of herself, this idea of perfection. And then that's something you found yourself in as well. Do you, would you feel the same as that younger woman, 23 pounds heavier in that body as you do right now? Would you still have wanted to go to that camp? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, would I still have wanted to go to the camp? I'm happy I went to the camp. Unperfect. If I, if, I, if I was that person now, you're saying? Yeah. Would I go to the camp? Well, if I knew what I was going to learn at that camp, no, because I learned unhealthy habits. Uh, I don't know if they meant it was very like eating disorder type habits. I would go to a coach to help me find that balance, because to me, one thing I realized more than anything is if you're connected to yourself, when you learn to truly listen to your body, like everything will just come into alignment. And so whether that means I'm supposed to be 23 pounds heavier, fine. Like to me, it's about how I feel from the inside out more than anything. And so if I'm 23 pounds heavier, but I feel as good as I feel now, I'd be happy. I'd be happy to be there. I truly believe like your sexiness comes from how you feel on the inside. And my body weight has fluctuated actually 20 pounds uh, between three years ago, three years ago, before COVID started, I was really, really skinny. I had like more anxiety as before I went to all the retreats and everything. And I, and I was just really skinny and I gained 20 pounds in like a year and oddly, I didn't hate my body anymore. I like loved it just the same. I actually loved it even more because now I healed my anxiety. And yeah, maybe I gained 20 pounds, but I actually decided I look even better. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Come on. Nice job. So, yeah, I think it's I think when you allow yourself to be connected to yourself and feel as good as possible from what you eat and how you move and what you do for yourself, it doesn't actually matter what the scale says or what society says, because the inside beats the outside. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Plus you'll, you'll find that really that inner light will desire an external healthy vehicle. It's, it's one of these things I've really turned a corner on lately. I've always been skinny, but now I'm really mindful about being healthy. You know, it's a different feeling and man, yeah. it's changed. It's absolutely changed me. What, yeah. what are your thoughts? Uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here in just a little bit, but what are your thoughts on UFOs, like aliens running around beaming folks up and whatnot? I've heard some crazy UFO stories that have helped me believe in them even more. I've never seen one. A really weird story. My aunt and, aunt and uncle, which they are the farthest people that I would ever expect to tell me this story. So that's why I believed it. They were sleeping one night in this like round orb came into their bedroom and like bonked them both in the face. And then I guess it was like right in front of their face and then just like left their room. They got orb slapped. Yeah, they got orbs left. Wow, <laughs> That's wild. So did it impart any knowledge or wisdom or do they have missing time or going to UFO or anything? No, no, but a lot. No, no, no info. Um, 
I've tried calling aliens in before. I haven't seen them. I do believe we're in a time warp right now, though, because time, I don't know about for you. I feel like time is flying by for me, for a lot of people that I talk to. Like, I... I just got that intuitive hit one day. I'm like, we, there's no way in heck we're not in a time warp. We're in a time warp. Like it has to be. <laughs> Dude, totally. It's called the quickening. A few of us have talked about this. So what are, what are your, uh, why do you think that's occurring? You know, so this is where my brain went to, you know, how back in 2012, the frequency of the planet raised and then it just stayed there. And then the last couple months it raised even more yeah. and like, crazy amount i feel as though the energy of the earth is rising maybe it's a i when i think of global warming i just think of the earth's natural heating and cooling i feel like there's some sort of like energy rising in general here i mean the weather's different there's no denying the weather in massachusetts is different um and i don't think it's because of us i think there's there there's things bigger than us you know like there's some sort of energy thing happening um and i i feel like it's speeding up time you know how they talk about like astronauts who have gone to outer space or there's been that story of people who didn't age remember it was like a while ago yeah yeah and they age differently is what they say to keep the idea that space is real going i think it's really fun so what do you think about the flat earth people then uh, it's funny. Actually, on my last Sedona retreat we had in 2021, we entertained that conversation for a few hours one night. What do you uh, <laughs> It makes sense uh, when I heard someone talk about it, you know, with all like that. If there's a flat earth, but then there's all these dimensions that make it appear round. Um, yeah, I, 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 I entertain that. I entertain anything. I entertain the fact that I don't know anything, that everything we know right now is not what we know. And that's why I'm just going to listen to what feels right in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, it's this intuitively guided thing. And I think that the instability of truth has really called people to be in their intuition and into their discernment because that's your only damn shot at this thing. You know, you can be, it's so easy to get bamboozled and you needed to be bamboozled a whole bunch to go like, all right, look, fool me a million and a half times, shame on me. All right. But now that shit's over. Like we're done with it. And it's interesting to look at this as um, sort of a training ground for that. And one of the biggest things is, is, and I will say this, I'm not a flat earther per se, but I am um, more interested in the conversation than ever. And simply because it falls so in line with the fuckery going on here. Like it would make complete sense. Like, duh. You know, the only other thing that I could think of would be that we don't die in this in this time, like in this reality. Like, let's say as a compensation, yes, time is speeding up, but we're not aging the same. Uh, we're not experiencing this the same way. We're not metabolizing the things the same. Our actual physical vessels are changing as well. And we're getting healthier and bodies of light and all these things. So it's interesting, all of these presuppositions that we come in with, like that space is a thing and like all of this. And then you grow a little bit and you start looking at NASA going like, why are they green screen and shit? And there's no way that clunky thing made with shower curtain rods went to the moon. And what are they doing? You know what I mean? And so it's like, I don't know what they're doing, but I know what they're not doing. And it's fucking going to the moon and space and shit. And so then the question is, is why, you know, or if they are going, they're lying about it, but why? Can I tell you a a real quick, crazy story from actually, okay. The house I rented last time we went to the goddess getaway in Sedona was built by the CAA for remote viewing. It's like known for it. So did you, have you heard about that? Yeah, the The Monroe Institute. I don't know if 
was called the Monroe Institute, but the house we stayed at was like a 12,500 square foot dome, this like concrete dome in Sedona. It's lined with copper. It's feng shuied. It had this light portal in the center that went up four stories. It was like this octagon of windows that went up four stories through the center of the house. And then there was no roof at the top through the window portal. So they called it the portal to all creation. And Oh my God, I have so many crazy stories about that portal. But basically then there was, everything was in a circle. So there's four floors. The third floor, all the bedrooms were in a circle. And in each bedroom, there's a staircase going from the bedroom up to the fifth, the fourth floor. And there is several rooms on the fourth floor, which are like portal rooms. They each are designed in these like different weird ways. They look like portals and they would go up. So this house was built from the middle of the night, people to sleep and then walk up the stairs and then meditate in astro travel and remote view for the CIA. <laughs> that is one of the coolest damn things I've ever heard. And you just got a hold of this house. Is this where you're doing it in September as well? It's a different house where I'm doing it. I had, um, I didn't have a good interaction with the lady last time. Uh -huh. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't go back there. But <laughs> what I will That's say a is a really cool house. Huh? That's a shame. I know. I, I was sad about it because I really would have loved to go back. But um, a really weird thing that happened with the portal is we couldn't open that portal. It had a door to it that we could not open all week. And then I had that same famous light language singer come and she told us to set an intention before the door and then it will open because she had been to this house before. She's like, you have to get in there. The energy is magnificent. It's truly the portal to all creation. And so the next morning, the girl sat in front of the door and meditated and like set an intention and the door finally opened what? and you go in and there's like energy swirling in over your head, like over your crown. Wow. That sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. We should just buy the house and have somebody what? else buy it and then just be like, all right, we don't have to deal with that lady anymore. And we'll run it like a cool way, you know? Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's we'll do, do it. With it's millions of dollars. That's fine. That's chump chain. We'll take three. That's fine. All right. All right. <laughs> Rachel, it is an amazing time having you on. We'll call it for this one, but all the ways to find you located down in the show notes. Uh, guys, reach out. She's incredible. Does a myriad of things. Definitely go check out one of her retreats. Uh, Mary will be there, hopefully, uh, to come hang out with y'all very soon. And this has just been a damn delight. Um, just thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you. It was so fun to be on here.